Well, happy Lord's Day. It is good to be face-to-face before the Lord together in worship this morning. A few things before we get started. Uh, One, I'm playing hurt today. If you couldn't tell, the voice is a little rough. So that's going to take some extra participation from you to try and listen well to what God might have to say to you through my frog-like voice. Secondly, I want to thank all of you for the warm welcome that you've given to my family. From the moment we arrived, you have been helping to move us in, to move food into my house, and to move my children out of the way. It's been very just welcoming and heartwarming, and we have been made to feel at home, and so I want to thank you for that. Secondly, I want to thank the search committee that went through the long process of sifting through and interviewing and sitting through all those conversations with various candidates, including myself. So thank you to those who served on that committee. Lastly, today is an important day in the life of First Baptist Church. It is my first day here as pastor, and two years ago, It was Tony's first day as a pastor on staff. So he and I will share an anniversary, and I wanted to take a moment and give thanks to the Lord for Tony's faithful ministry here over the last two years. So if you could stand and thank him, it'd be great. Thank you, Tony. You only get to preach your last sermon at a church once, and you only get to preach your first sermon at a church once. I've had the privilege of doing both in the last few weeks. When you come to speeches or sermons of such significance, you give a lot of thought to what passage of the Bible ought I to preach? A couple weeks ago, I preached from Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 through 38. This is Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. And as I thought more about what would be appropriate in this hello sermon, it occurred to me that the same text was just as fitting, just as suited. Because in it, Paul lays out his example of faithful ministry. He gives encouraging instructions to the pastor elders of Ephesus that he is leaving behind, and then he entrusts the whole endeavor to God and his word. And so in this sermon of Paul, we see him give to us the profile of a pastor, and the priorities of a church and her leadership. And what better way to start our walk behind Christ together than with revisiting the priorities of a pastor and the priorities of the church. And so this morning, unlike two weeks ago, I was able to preach and say, here are the promises that I have kept. I've had a faithful ministry among you. My hands are clean of your blood. I entrust you to the word of God. 
This morning, I want to lay out the priorities in the text, make promises to you, and then invite you to magnify the Lord together with me as we follow the course that Jesus Christ has set us on together, ultimately trusting in His Word and in His power and in His strength, because it is the Lord Jesus Christ who builds His church and His people. And so, if you wanted an outline in your head, you could do it this way. Paul's example, Paul's exhortation, and Paul's commendation. I will make promises, give exhortations, and then ultimately we will say we are trusting ourselves to the Lord and His Word together. If you want a main idea, just one idea to sort of shove down in your pocket and carry around with you throughout the week as you meditate on this passage and what God is saying to us here, it would be this, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together as we obey His Word together. And the short version is just magnify the Lord with me. Let's follow Jesus together. Would you please stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word? We're reading from Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, 
which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would carve the eternal truth of your word on our hearts this morning, that you would stamp it on our bones. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. We ask that you would give to me clarity of thought, purity of heart, eloquence of tongue and unction from your divine Holy Spirit, that I might faithfully communicate to this congregation the words that you would have them hear. We pray that your Holy Spirit would tend to each of the hearts in this room, that he would be cultivating good soil, and that the power of the seed of the gospel might spring forth and bear much fruit. This we pray In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen. Imagine for yourself that you are on your deathbed, surrounded by loved ones and generations of children. You know your time is short. Your breathing is beginning to be ragged. Do you realize that you have very few words left, that your next words could be your last words. What would you want to say? What would you want to communicate to your loved ones? What would you want to leave them with? Words of significance for their lives. This is the situation Paul is in. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to suffer there. He knows he's not going to see these Ephesian elders. Elders in the Bible, it's just the same word as pastors or overseers. An elder is a pastor who oversees. The words are used interchangeably here. Paul's talking to the same group of people. They're they're pastor elders. Paul is in a situation where it's the last time he's going to speak to these pastor elders And so he wants his last words to be lasting words. He's setting the priorities for what they ought to be as pastors and how they ought to lead the church. And to outline those priorities, he brings attention to his own example, and then he gives attention to what their situation will be when he leaves. He gives them instruction. We see priorities and the necessity of providing protection from pastors And the first priority is seen here in verses 22 through 24, and it's subtle. 
You see, the occasion for this speech in the first place is the fact that Paul loves Jesus Christ above all else. He loves Jesus more than his own life. The reason he is going to Jerusalem is because he values the glory of God above his own life. Look at it in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is leaving Ephesus. He's leaving his missionary journeys behind because he's on to the next endeavor. He's going to Jerusalem to preach the gospel of the grace of God in obedience to the voice of the Son of God. Paul's goal is not a good life, not his best life, but a life spent in obedience to the Lord Jesus. His first priority in ministry, the first priority of his life is the glory of God. He loves Jesus most. That's why he can say in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If his life is separated from obedience to Jesus, well, then it is not worth much at all. But if it is spent in obedience to the Lord Jesus, well, then it has real value. That's what he's saying here. My goal is the glory of God. I will pour my life out for God and His church to testify to the gospel of grace because I love Jesus Christ that much. Because He saved me. Christian, ought this not be your posture? Do you love Jesus more than your own life? Your goal should not be a long life or a good life, but a faithful life. A life lived in obedience to King Jesus. The Christian life, Paul uses the metaphor often, is like a race. And you don't get credit for running half a race. No one brags about almost finishing a marathon. That'd be silly. I don't think they make like 2.1 bumper stickers for your car. I mean, maybe they do, participation trophies and such. But one of the, the things we need to recognize here is that our goals ought to reflect the goal of Scripture. Our ultimate goal in our life should be obedience to Jesus, a faithful race, we want to run the race of the Christian life together with Jesus unto the very end. That is what is most important, that we love Jesus Christ supremely. And that's what's most important for all of us as Christians, but especially of pastors. A pastor who does not love Jesus Christ supremely is unfit to be a pastor Here at First Baptist, we have occasion for great joy in this area. We can give thanks to God. The pastor elders here love Jesus most. They love Jesus above all else. 
And so I come to the first promise I want to make this morning. During my tenure here, I promise to love Jesus Christ supremely. To love Jesus above all else. I promise to make that evident in my ordinary Christian life. In simple things, like making the Lord's Day gathering a priority in my life. By showing my love for Jesus. By setting apart this day to worship Him together with His people. I promise to love Jesus supremely. Secondly, I promise to love you, His people. We see Paul sets this as a priority in his ministry as he brings attention to it in verse 18. It's the very first part of his speech. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Then drop down to verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know, see the same phrase again, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is a shepherd ruler and a humble servant. He uses his authority that has been given to him by God not to dare tear down the church or to lord it over them, but to build the church up in love. He, he gives up his rights to enumeration so that he might work with his own hands and not cause anyone to mistake his preaching of the word as simply a goal uh, simply a way for him to make money or to make a quick buck. He lives among them as one of them. Set with humility, with tears, and with trials. Paul is with this people. The Ephesian people love Paul and they know Paul. What an example he sets for all of us. We, as Christians, ought to know one another. You know, you know the old song? They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And I do wonder, you sing that song and I go, does anybody actually know that about us? Man, this, this group of people that is bound together by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, they really love one another. People know us that way. Do we have real community with one another? Friends, this must be a priority for us as Christians to actually live with one another, to suffer together through tears and trials, to rejoice together in triumphs. Christians that are not in fellowship with other Christians fail to obey the priority of loving one another. You know, Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. All those one another commands in the Bible take place in the context of the local church. 
If we are to obey the commands to love one another, we must be in real community together. And how that happens here at First Baptist and most churches is that we covenant together. We commit ourselves to one another as members of a local church. And we say we are going to bear one another's burdens. Now that's Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're going to hold one another accountable to following Jesus so that when I get off the straight and narrow, the way of righteousness, uh, you can come along and grab me by the scruff of the neck and say, Brother Justin, get back over here, and Lord willing, by his grace, I will repent of my sin and, and get back on the path. We want to love one another. Brothers and sisters, you need the church. It is not sufficient to find your favorite preacher on YouTube. Say, all right, I'm going to stay home week after week. I'll attend service sometimes. But I'll listen to my favorite preacher, and then I'll sing some songs from Christian radio, and I'll just stay in my pajamas. God calls you to real relationship with real people. The word church means to gather together. To be a church is to be together. And a pastor must be together with his people. As the saying goes, a pastor must smell like the sheep. Paul serves his people as he lives among them. He has a Philippians 2 DNA. In Philippians 2, 3, he writes... Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This Philippians 2 DNA ought to mark all of us. We ought to be thinking not, how can I build myself up? What can I get out of church? How can I consume all of these Christian resources? Now we ought to be thinking, how can I build up? How can I serve my neighbor? How can I contribute to the work of God among the people of God? And the first answer to that question is by belonging to the people of God in a real way. By joining yourself to a local church. You have to be among one another. All of us need that Philippians 2 DNA. I'm so thankful that I've seen it uh, in, the, in the other elders here. But they have first and foremost in their minds the spiritual growth and maturity of you all. And so I promise, promise to serve you, to live among you, to love you, to pray for you, I promise to show up for you to the best of my ability. I'm not saying that I will do this perfect. And I'm not saying I will know every detail of every one of your lives. I am saying that I will preach the word to you week after week. That I will pray for you. And that insofar as it depends on me, I will live among you serving the Lord with humility and with tears and through trials. I will love God more than gold. I will work hard. 
I will endeavor to help the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I will make it my aim to love you, Jesus' people. Paul moves on in his speech. The next priority is the preaching of God's word. So, so far we've seen from his example that he loves Jesus supremely. He loves Jesus' people. And now we see he loves Jesus' word. That's the third thing. He loves Jesus' word. You go back at the beginning of verse 18. He says, you yourselves know, long sentence. And then you get to verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul says... I am innocent of your blood. That's a little weird to us on the face of it. Why, why is he talking about his innocence from their blood all of a sudden? Well, what he's doing is he's picking up on imagery that exists throughout the book of Ezekiel. And particularly, Ezekiel chapter 33. In Ezekiel 33, there is a watchman on the wall, and his responsibility is to warn the people of God's coming judgment. Now listen, I'm going to read it to you. It's nine verses. Ezekiel chapter 33, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, then you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O oh, wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. See what Paul's saying? He's saying, I am as the watchman on the wall. I have sounded the trumpet. 
I have warned you about the coming judgment of God. The sword of God's judgment is raised against all who refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. The Lord God will rightly punish all sin. Sin is rebellion against the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is saying, I am going to do life my way rather than God's way. I'm going to listen to my heart rather than to God's word. That is rebellion against the king. It is treason. And every man, woman, and child is born into that treason, born into that rebellion. All of us, apart from Christ, deserve the judgment of God. The sword is coming. God's wrath is coming for you and I, and it is right, and it is just, and it is good. We are without hope in the world. But... Like Paul, he sounds that trumpet of warning in order to draw the people out of destruction. The trumpet is a warning, and it's also a way to salvation. It is an invitation to follow the Lord Jesus and be saved, to listen to the Word of God and be ransomed from the wrath of God. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I have proclaimed to you, both Jews and Greeks, this is verse 21, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. It's a synecdoche for the whole gospel message. This one part represents the whole. He's saying, I have preached to you the need to turn from your wicked ways and to trust Christ so that you might escape the wrath of God and instead enjoy the kingdom of God. You see, he talks about, same thing, verse 25, he's gone about proclaiming the kingdom. He's proclaimed to them the necessity of trusting Christ in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven and to be saved from the wrath of God. This is a warning. He's saying, if you have failed to repent, if you have heard my word, which is the word of God, and it's fallen on deaf ears, your blood is on your own head. So the, the image is this, He's, the, the city is under attack, he sounds the trumpet, the warning bells, and instead of leaving, the person stays. Now, if he wouldn't have sounded the warning, he would be culpable. But because he did sound the warning, and the person ignored it, his hands are clean, and they themselves are guilty. Sort of like uh, he pulls the fire alarm. The alarm's going off in the building, if you've ever had that experience. I did, when I was in college, kids used to always pull the fire alarm in the middle of the night. And we would, it was cold up north, and so we would come out in the middle of the night and stand on the sidewalk, blankets, you know, shaking, you know, hundreds of us, as the fire department came and made sure there was no fire. But the university actually had to establish a policy that if you remained in your room during a fire alarm, you would be expelled, because alarm would go off, there would be no fire, and so what did people like me do? We stayed in bed. This is what Paul is saying here. I've sounded the alarm. There is a fire. You are responsible for believing that word. 
And if you don't believe it, it's on you because I have preached it faithfully. I have not, verse 20, shrank from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Paul has been faithful to teach the word. And he, I think he lays this out in particular because he knows that these elders, as most pastors and elders, will be tempted to shrink from declaring the whole word of God. There is a real temptation to soften what the Bible has to say about sexuality, marriage, judgment, church discipline, authority, gender roles, and so much more. There's a real temptation. Brothers and sisters, our leaders, our pastors, cannot be men without nerve. The church cannot flourish under cowardly pastors who think that they can shrink from obedience to God's Word. Elders who avoid teaching and obeying God's Word because some find it upsetting are unfit to lead, and they ought to resign before their cowardice cripples the church. Spineless pastors who are ashamed of the Word of God have no business opening the Word of God or teaching the Word of God. Pastors who are ashamed of what the Bible says dishonor God. They invite others into sin. They help others sin without warning. They fail to sound the alarm. And they bring guilt upon themselves. First Baptist Church, you ought to be grateful. You have men here who have led you faithfully who have sounded the alarm, who have stuck close to God and His Word. I promise that I will not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I promise to be innocent of the blood of any who refuse to repent and to trust in Christ. Expositional preaching will continue to be the pattern of this pulpit. I am so grateful for Pastor Al, for the other elders who have faithfully taught God's Word here. Praise God for their refusal to shrink and to wilt. Insofar as it depends on me, we will stand fast as a church, no matter how hard the winds of culture blow against us, and no matter how sharp the teeth of the wolves that find their way in among us are. Through trials and tears, we will say how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. We are made God's people by His Word, and we will not abandon it. Not now, not in the future, not ever. I promise you that by God's grace, I will not shrink. And that's Paul's example from his life. 
And then he moves to address the elders in particular. And instead of naming all of your elders, I'm just going to call them brother pastors in this section and address them directly a couple times. You can listen in. But that's what Paul's doing. He's talking to them directly. Verse 28. This is his exhortation. We looked at his example. Now we're on to his exhortation. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care. The word there is literally shepherd or rule. I like shepherd. To shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is very similar to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Brother pastors, what this church needs most from you is your own personal holiness. This church needs you to guard your heart against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Guard yourselves. Brother pastors, guard one another. You'll notice this is in the plural. Again, we have a picture from the Bible of the importance of having a plurality of pastors. The command is plural because pastors need pastored. I need pastored. I mean, have you met me? If you have, you know you're like, that guy needs shepherded. The command is not only about personal accountability. It is also about mutual accountability. My fellow elders, let us pay close attention to ourselves, to our life and our doctrine. Let us pay close attention to one another and to this flock of God that we have been entrusted with by God. Do you see that in verse 28? Speaking to these pastor elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This is the church. It's a metaphor, the body of Christ. Pay attention to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. That is encouragement for you, brother pastors. If ever you are concerned or downhearted, or discouraged about your ministry here, you need to remember it is God, the Holy Spirit, who has made you a pastor at First Baptist Church of Waynesboro. That is encouragement. God has put you and I here together at this time, in this place, that we might shepherd the church of God that we might faithfully lead them to follow the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in all obedience, that we might together observe all that he has commanded us in the Great Commission, that we might faithfully worship him, give glory to him, and testify about his greatness to the world so that more people might come to him. Brother pastors, let us shepherd faithfully. This is... There is no greater privilege in the world than being trusted with a flock of God. There is no greater responsibility. We will be judged more strictly. God has entrusted to us that which is valuable to Him. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Those that Jesus laid down his life for, that he bought with his blood, he has entrusted to you and I, brother pastors. They are valuable. We ought to lay down our lives for them. You know, it's true, sometimes the imagery of sheep in the Bible is meant to help us think about how easily we wander and stray. But it's equally as true, and I think we miss this, that the imagery of sheep is about teaching us how valuable we are to God. Right, it's true, sheep are, are stupid and stinky. Hey, sometimes that applies to us. But in this agrarian society, sheep were valuable. We are to see that the church, the flock of God, is valuable to the good shepherd. He obtained it with his own blood. Christian, that means you are valuable to God. You are loved by God. Jesus Christ loved you and gave his life for you. Don't forget that. Delight in that. If you're here and you're non-Christian, I want you to know that you can enter into this flock if you will turn from your sin and trust Christ. If you will heed that warning that God's judgment is coming, flee the wrath of God, come into the arms of the Lamb who gave his life for the sins of the world. He welcomes all who will come to him. And those who come to him will never be cast out. Consider Christ. Talk with someone about it. Members of this church would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. I would love to. Count the cost. It's worth it. And consider following Christ, who saves his people from their sins. Brother pastors, do not forget how valuable God's church is to him. First Baptist, I promise to guard myself, my fellow elders, and you to the best of my ability. Paul's next instruction is a little bit of an elaboration on why it's necessary for the shepherds to pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock. And it is because the church of God needs guarded from the enemies of God. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Paul says that wolves, wolves and sheep don't get along, wolves eat sheep, will enter into the church at Ephesus, in among these, the flock that these pastors are overseeing. They will come. They must be ready. 
they have a common characteristic. The wolves come, they do come from without, but they also come from within, and even from among the elders. They will come in and they won't spare the flock. And, and here's the common characteristic. They arise speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. They want to get their own following. They want to buck the authority set over them, to subvert it, to gather a coalition around themselves as they speak twisted things against their leadership, as they twist up the Word of God. They seek to divide the flock. They seek to divide the body of Christ. And Paul says, do not let them divide you. Be on guard. Pay attention. Pastors cannot play the part of Little Red Riding Hood. Be ignorant. Satan often presents himself as an angel of light. You cannot say to those who would seek to divide the church, Oh, what sharp teeth you have. Oh, what interesting and creative doctrine you've developed. No, we must put wolves out. And that's why we must not, as pastors, just commit to sound biblical preaching, but to sound biblical practice. One of the primary ways that the church defends itself against wolves is by putting wolves outside of the sheep pen. Well, how do you do that? Well, A, it's by recognizing who the sheep are. All right, we're back to church membership again. Those who have covenanted together to follow Jesus together, who we as a church have said, yeah, that person is confessing Christ, uh, they're following Christ, they we're affirming their Christianity. They're, they're one of us. They're in. They're together with us. We're going to follow Jesus together. We're going, those are the sheep. We have meaningful membership. Meaningful membership is about protecting us from wolves. So that when a wolf arises among us, we can practice church discipline and remove the wolf from our midst. Now, sometimes we, we think someone might be a wolf and they turn out to be a sheep who's just gone astray a little bit. And church discipline reveals that. The, those who know Christ, who belong to him, hear his voice, and they obey it. They repent of their sins, and they return to the way of righteousness. But those who have simply put sheep's clothing on, they will not repent. And we must put them out from our midst. Good pastors protect the church by leading the church to practice meaningful church membership, and Christ-honoring church discipline in accord with the scriptures. And you're going, church discipline isn't in this text. I'm telling you it's a necessary consequence of this text, and it's taught in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 and Titus 3, and you can look that up later this evening, read it for homework. It is necessary for the growth and the health of a faithful church. Those practices are crucial for keeping the sheep safe and strong, an unidentifiable flock of sheep cannot be guarded. If we don't know who the sheep are, we cannot protect them from wolves. Wolves must be put out of the sheep pen. We must pay careful attention. And brother pastors, we mustn't shrink from this task. 
I promise I will not shrink back from teaching the whole counsel of God. I will not shrink back from pursuing not just the faithful teaching of God's word, but the faithful practice of God's word. I promise you that I will do this even when those practices that are commended by Scripture are really hated by a whole lot of people. I promise you to go back to priority number one, that I will love the Lord Jesus Christ supremely, and I will obey his word, and I will lead you to obey his word, come what may. My goal will be to please God. I will do my best to guard sound doctrine and sound practice. I promise to live and lead in a way that magnifies the name of Christ and protects his reputation. Paul's laid out priorities that we can see in his example, priorities that we can see in his exhortation, and now he gives us a commendation. He shows us where our hope ought to be. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul recognizes that the building up of God's people, the success of God's mission in the world, is not dependent on him or his presence in Ephesus. It is God's word that makes God's people. It always has been. God's word makes God's people, God's word builds God's people up, and God's word gets God's people faithfully home. God works through his word when it is applied to his people by his Holy Spirit. The one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is going to get his saints safely home. God builds up the church. It's Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. God is the ultimate builder. Jesus Christ is the ultimate builder. Jesus Christ is the ultimate pastor. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd of this church and of you and of me as individuals. He will get us safely home if we continue to hear and heed his voice. I promise to trust God and his work to build his church here rather than myself. Friends, if there are two phrases that I could sum up my hopes for my ministry here, or how I think about myself as a pastor, they are these, and both come from the mouth of John the Baptist. One, I am not the Christ. Not. And two, He must become greater, I must become less. My goal is to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus here in the coming weeks, months, and years that we spend together. My hope is is that you will join me in this endeavor, that with full support you will follow me as I follow Jesus, seeking to make much of him. These are the promises I make to you as your pastor, on October 1st, 
2023. Let me remind you of them. We'll pray and conclude. First, I promise to love Jesus supremely. Second, I promise to love you, Jesus' people. Third, I promise to preach the word. I promise not to shrink. Fourth, I promise to guard myself, my fellow pastors, and you all from false teaching and from that which would threaten your spiritual growth. And lastly, I promise to ultimately trust Christ and his word to build his church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called all of us together here. We pray that you would use all of us to bring you glory. And I ask that you would protect me from scandal and from moral failure, from pride, and from sins that might be disqualifying to ministry. I ask that you would help me to shepherd and lead with all humility through tears and trials and triumphs. I pray that you would keep all of the pastors here faithful to your word. I pray that you would watch over the deacons here, that they would be faithful in their tasks to unify the church, to support the work of the word, and to help us care for the needs of the church. I pray that you would make our elders and our deacons, all of our ministry leaders, stalwart in our commitment to Christ. We ask that each person that you know is a member of this church would benefit from the faithful teaching of your word. Help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Help us to seek one another's interests ahead of our own. Lord, help us to be the church that we might bring glory to the name of King Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.